Welcome to Peers Like Me. Peers Like Me is a regularly updated podcast developed to increase everybody's understanding of the effects of people who have behavioral health issues on our families, neighbors, and communities. Peers Like Me is designed to increase understanding and knowledge for people in our community from a peer, people with lived experiences, perspective, which will result in improved community inclusion. Our hope is that by sharing our knowledge and experiences with the issues, our community will gain better understanding and acceptance, resulting in an improved quality of life for everyone. Today, our guest is Jan Abel's Register, Peer Support Specialist for Advanced Care Planning at Erie County Medical Center and Family Support Partner with the Child and Family Support Program of the Mental Health Advocates of Western New York. Our host is Maura Kelly. Thank you, Ernie. Uh, welcome, Jen. I uh, really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today and help us understand more about what you do. Uh, I'd like to just uh, tell the audience that Jen has a master's degree in, uh, in school and family counseling and a master's in mental health counseling, as well as a provisional credential as a family peer support. She has over 40 years experience in helping families and children from ages five to 21. Her current role at East Erie County Medical Center focuses on helping adults and their families come to terms with their serious complex illnesses. She works closely as an integral part of the ECMC palliative team of doctors, nurses, practitioners, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and social workers. The team is consulted when doctors are serving patients who have serious complex disease that require goals of care discussions to help patients and families manage long-term serious illnesses decisions as well as end-of-life decisions for care. The team refers to Jan when a patient and family may be struggling with accepting or managing their complex illness and they require extra support beyond that time the palliative the practitioners can spend. Many times she does therapy uh, with them using her beloved dog, Yogi. Uh, she loves her job, the goal to help people avoid unnecessary pain and suffering and to help them feel empowered in taking charge of their own medical decisions. It is very rewarding for her. She very appreciates uh, uh, working there and she appreciates the team she works with and the families and patients most of all. So Jen, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we're gonna talk about palliative care and what that means and why people like me, behavioral health issues and you need to look at that and like have that difficult discussion. So welcome. Thank you for doing this, Maura. You are brave. This is oh, wonderful that you're doing this podcast. Oh, thanks. I, um, I became involved with the project because I worked as a family peer advocate for mental health advocates. I have depression and anxiety that's treated. I've talked about it all my life as a counselor. The peer support is probably closer to what I really enjoy mm. uh, versus the other stuff that I did. Um, my lovely supervisor, Jenny Laney, suggested to me when I was working for Family Peer Advocates, um, the ECMC grant project. And I said, okay, I haven't worked in a hospital, but sure, I'll do that. So the grant was, it's called Conversation Nurse. 
Now, you would think that stuff is going on when doctors talk to people, but sometimes with all the patients and COVID and whatnot, they're looking at a disease, not necessarily the person. Mm -hmm. And so the Conversation Nurse Project was really for my partner and I to just talk with people and say, what matters to you? Right. Um, I don't even, I didn't know a lot about medical. I know that there was people on the palliative team um, are dealing with people with very serious illness. It does not necessarily mean imminent death, but very serious illness. So Jen, Jen, what does palliative care mean? Like, I I really don't know the definition. Yep. And I didn't either. Palliative care is a supportive, it's palliative care and supportive medicine. If you think of the word support, yeah. Okay. It's a specialized medical care for people living with serious illness. So somebody that's got cancer and that also has schizophrenia, we have a woman that was so worried about electrical things from the 5G network that she felt that any kind of cancer treatment would um, affect her in negative ways. So the schizophrenia got in the way. I feel and it is a true definition, I'm going to say it in a minute, that this that people with serious illness that are they're dealing with something over a lifetime that they're managing. Mm-hmm. Um, and palliative care can be started at any time. It doesn't just mean end of life. So I'll tell you the definition. Again, it's specialized medical care for people living with a serious illness. The goal is to improve the quality of life for both patient and family. Palliative care is provided by a specialized team of doctors, nurses, and specialists who work together. It's the team idea that really is wonderful. Um, They provide an extra layer of support for the patient and the family. So they could be seeing a primary doctor, they could be seeing an oncologist, they could be seeing all these different people, and then palliative care comes in and supports the patient in a way that... um, is based on their needs, could be psychological needs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not based on just the prognosis. So you wouldn't say, oh, this person has this prognosis, let's get palliative right. in. So um, what does this have to do with wh- why are we talking this and behavioral health, serious mental illness in this palliative care project that you're working on? Well, I think a lot of people don't understand that schizophrenia, depression, bipolar, they're diseases we have to manage for a lifetime. And when a person is coming into the hospital for, let's say, a car accident or they've mm-hmm. fallen, they're being treated medically. But the the mental health piece is very important in the overall care of the patient. So for I, every patient, you're saying? For every patient. Yes, yes. Um, And sometimes it gets in the way of them, like we have a burn patient who's only 23, who is burned in 70% of her body and has just given up. Mm -hmm. So yes, they can treat the burns and they can do this and that, but what is the barrier that's stopping her? Um, And she's feeling depressed. So um, palliative care, again, I'm going to read it again. It focuses on pain and symptom management people with complex situations, not just, oh, I broke my leg and I'm upset about my leg, I'm in the hospital, but I was burned in a fire, my kids aren't here, I'm depressed, I have wound care issues. So Jen, what would you do in that case? What are you doing with that person? Like, how are you up here to this person that has 70% of their body 
Okay. Yeah. Well, first the medical team obviously comes in. Right. Um, our the trauma surgeon when a person comes first comes into the hospital sick hurt whatever they're appointed a primary care physician he's like the leader of the train mm -hmm. and then whatever illnesses they might have or issues they might have the cars now are attached down through that primary and so oncology might be attached um, um, wound care might be attached and once they look at that and they see that this patient has long-term disease, he's going to probably be back in and out of the hospital, they will refer to the palliative team to talk about goals of care. Like if mm -hmm. this were to happen to you, and I do this a lot with people in detox because they mm -hmm. come in, they are not able to speak for themselves and they're so sick or their mental illness is so mm -hmm. Confusing to them, they can't speak for themselves, and so they are they are a car on that train that helps to treat what's going on with them. So maybe I could explain the difference between palliative and hospice. Okay, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, palliative care would be we have a patient um, who had diabetes, long term illness. He had came in with an amputated leg and a prosthetic and they were looking at the other leg. The other leg, um, if they cut below the knee, sometimes, many times, um, they will have some kind of vascular event after that, could be a stroke, and they'll be back in the hospital. They cut above the leg, it's harder to put a prosthetic on, but there's less vascular events. So that patient isn't just dealing with his leg, he's dealing with depression. He's dealing with frustration. And again, if palliative is looking to treat the whole person, you know, he's up on a floor now where he's getting attention to his wound care and medicine and pain. But what about the emotional stuff that's going on with him, you know, and the motivation? And sometimes they start refusing their medicine or they refuse care because they're so depressed. So the palliative team will meet. We meet once a day with the doctors, nurses, mm -hmm. social workers, and everybody has a piece in there. Somebody will say, oh, well, I'll contact the family or the, the nurse will say, uh, the nurse practitioner will say, you know, they're really struggling with the idea that they have possibly have to have their other leg amputated. Um, and they're not relating to me, Jan, because I got a white coat. Can you go in there and speak to them? And I'll kind of come in sideways and say, you know, you know, I, I've had depression and I know it can just creep up on you. And as soon as I reveal that I've had something, um, a lot of people will open up and there's more of a trust so that now they can trust the medical team um, with hospice. OK, so that's palliative. So that some patients yeah. are, are not imminent. They're not going to die right away. They're not right. imminent, but they're chronic. So this guy with the amputated leg ended up getting another amputation and ended up getting rehab. And now he's at a, um, a nursing home rehabbing. I still see him. Yeah. I still go and visit with him. Um, so you so leave the hospital and go, go to the rehab or yes, the rehab at the hospital? It's on my own that I do that. Oh, wow. But wow. I, I've been that because I develop a long-term relationship with them. And sometimes yeah. palliative, the palliative team is the only constant. The primary guy in the head of the train, right. you can see him once. The oncology might see him a couple of times if it's oncology. Yeah. And surgery, people might see him here, but but palliative sees him all the way through. Hospice is when, so if, when you're looking at goals of care, well, what do they mean by that? 
okay, you came in here, different patient, came in here on cocaine and you uh, came in unconscious. You um, had no one to speak for you, so we need to find a proxy. Proxy is somebody that can speak your wishes. Right. This person is on a vent, unable to speak, and um, I lost my train of thought. Um, this is person on cocaine. They don't have anyone to speak for them. Oh, goals of care. Proxy. The goals of care. So, what would this guy want? Would he want right. to be in a ventilator? Or the only time that, that we're actually going to look at a goal of care is if somebody has a medical event like a stroke um, and their brain doesn't have oxygen enough to the brain. So the brain, if the brain dies, that's considered death. Mm-hmm. What do we do? What do the doctors do with this person that's still breathing? So a goal of care for somebody who has chronic disease would be something that's discussed a bunch of times like what would you want would you want to be on a machine would you want to be fighting for this or that and some people say yeah try everything right so that would be palliative care but what that's palliative because it's it's what's the word i'm looking for it is um curative there's some curative things that we can still do like people that have uh cancer and are in the hospital and need to have Uh, palliative chemotherapy to shrink the tumor so that people can feel a little better and it might buy them some time. Where hospice, they're referred to hospice when we know that they're not going to get anything more curative. They're not going to get palliative. They're not going to get dialysis. They're not going to get anything like that. And we're going to focus, they're going to focus purely on comfort. So that's the difference. Okay, all right. Explain it. Yeah, so... Um, a lot of us people with mental health issues struggle with loneliness and isolation and frequently don't have people to be proxies. Right. Uh, so what happens in those cases? I, I'm sure, does that happen a lot? Does that happen it does lot? happen a lot. And yeah. um, keep in mind as a peer support, I go on all the floors. So I'm not just on medical floors, I'm on the psychiatric floors yeah. too. And so the geriatric floor with psychiatric issues um, has older people there that sometimes their partners have died, they don't have friends or they're homeless. Mm -hmm. And as a peer support person, I want to find some connections. Um, And if I've known them for months on end, there are some that have none. Yeah. And so, as you know, going down the proxy list, if you have no proxy appointed, New York State will appoint one. Okay. So like is that here's a good example. thing or a bad thing? Or it depends on the who they appoint. Well, it it's it's just a thing that's not you as, don't want the state to appoint someone, right? Well the position, yeah. but here's an example. This is motorcycle accident season. We just had six um mercy flights come in yesterday. Wow. Yeah. Must have been a large motorcycle accident. So we've had not this case, but we've had like a 26-year-old boy who doesn't think about a proxy, has no proxy assigned, has a girlfriend that he's lived with for a while, and now is on a ventilator and has anoxic brain injury, unable Mm -hmm. to really speak for himself. The doctors are gonna say, well, what kind of goal does this person have? If there's no proxy, they will go to the girlfriend that he lives with before they go to the mother. 
Mm-hmm. So the mother might be having different feelings about this is what I want my kid to do, where the person that lived with him is saying, oh, yeah, he'd never want this. So there's more wow. trauma on top of the trauma. Yeah. There's people so that, that disagree. That That's really like motivating to get a proxy. It because, is. And I, I talked yeah. to the I, I came up with the idea as a peer to talk with people in detox. Right. Because they were near death. Some of them, some of them arrived at the hospital, not conscious. Right. And so they're a little bit more motivated when I tell them that example. They're like, I need to get a proxy. And right. a lot of them maybe don't have that. So we have a, a booklet of talking about what who would be a good proxy? Mm-hmm. Like I even look at my own life. Like my fiance is very emotional. And if anything mm-hmm. were to happen, I don't know that he would be able to represent my wishes. So yeah. it took a while for me to talk with my daughter. And she said, I, I can do that. Yeah. So I talked to people saying, who is the constant in your life? Right. You know, who is going to be there when you call them? And a lot of times, you know, if you just give a definition of proxy, people aren't going to, yeah, that's nice. But when I right. use an example, people start thinking like, oh my gosh, I I, I don't have anybody. And I right. say, it goes down the list, as you know, right. we'll go from the spouse to the brother and then the parent mm-hmm. and then a brother or sister, I'm sorry, spouse, parent, brother or sister, friend, neighbor and if nobody then it goes to two physicians so oh, i always wow. say to these guys do you want two physicians making a decision about right. you i mean right so hmm. and they may have a stigma like oh there's a heroin addict or oh right. he's got mental right. health issues i don't want somebody else making that decision yeah that's <laughs> so yeah. what i talk about so what's the most challenging part of your job well it's to me, it's not if patients yell at you because they yell at the doctors. I, I don't mind that. I know that a lot of times our team will say they're expressing grief and that's how they express it. Right. They're angry, they're hurting, they're, you know, get the hell out of here. Right. And then, of course, I'll come back in. That part's not so hard. The hard part for me is like when I was with a patient for months, um, a young patient who had toxemia from pregnancy and delivered a healthy baby, but got so sick uh, for blood pressure being so high and then low, mm-hmm. and then uh, wounds in her body, like the pancreas had some uh, damage done to it. Mm-hmm. Her colon had a hole in it. Just you know, months and months of issues with this person. And what I don't think the team was paying attention to, and again, I'm not a doctor, but right. just appear is her mood and her depression. And when I spoke to her quickly, I mean, I got to learn she was a top 10 student at a school. She was a perfectionist. She's always had anxiety and depression mm-hmm. has always been treated. And so I was talking to her mother saying, you know, to me, and she's, she'd go for months on end to the point that her depression was no expression on her face Mm -hmm. she just kept it kept getting worse and worse and worse couldn't even cry couldn't hold her baby for six months that's enough to be depressing but she couldn't because physically or mentally she couldn't both oh wow because of covid because of infection issues because um she was too weak um so that does a number on your psyche obviously but what bothered me is that they were messing around with her effects, her and and I shouldn't say again, you know, 
effects of withdrawal is very tough, but mm -hmm. the, the focus wasn't necessarily on that. And so as a peer, because she and I talked a lot, she said, I need to talk to a psychiatrist. Right. And they don't, it's not like a psychiatrist outpatient where you're talking to them forever. It's somebody that comes in, looks at the situation, medicates. So it, it took several tries yeah. with her a long time to try and not, you know, I brought it to my team, the palliative team, and had the doctors talk with each other about it. And they finally put her on a drug. They took her off of a faxer. Mm -hmm. Blood pressure was so low and she mm -hmm. started with bulimia. She started inducing vomiting mm. and because she said, Jan, it's the only thing that make, that gives me relief. Yeah. Well, I know enough about that, but others were shaming her. Right. So again, the psychological got in the way of treatment and she was really could die. Losing right. weight. So they, they changed the medicine to doxepine. I don't mm -hmm. know how that works, whether it's placebo or not. Within a yeah. week, she was off the effects or, and I think they'd been titrating it down for months, mm -hmm. maybe. Different person. I went in and she was like planning her wedding. This is a girl who's laying down the whole time, couldn't speak. Wow. She's planning her wedding. She's going, what do you think of this wedding dress? Expression on her face. Yeah. I said, do you feel better? She goes, I do. I said, do you still feel the need to get, you know, throw up? She said, no, I don't. Um, and I might go home in two weeks. So yeah, wow, what was great. the hard part about that? Watching her for months deteriorate with no expression and yeah. me just trying, I brought my dog in, I tried everything mm -hmm. and just seeing nothing work. Um, yeah. That so was hard. You deal with a lot of heavy stuff. Yeah. How, how, how do you sleep at night? Like I, how do you, how do you, keep healthy yourself and, and you're dealing with very serious life and death things, you know, people, humans, and you impact them. And then you go home at night, I, I would guess. And how do you take care of you? Cause a lot of peers, we always like, Oh, like I have this and I'm going to share it with other people. And that's my purpose in life. But how does, how do we take care of you? Like, how do, how do you get your help? You know, your support. Well, come here, dog. I'll show you. This is one way. Come here. Say hi to everybody on camera. This is, hey. your, this is one way that I do. So um, you have a dog on your lap I named do. Yoga, Yogi. <laughs> and he comes in. I, 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 Maybe after I've been doing this for so long, uh, I think about why. Oops. What just happened? Nothing. You're good. You're good. You're good. Okay. Yeah. Um, Jen, how the heck did you get a dog in ECMC in the hospital? You know what? I, I lost the picture. Okay. I lost you. But can you hear? Can you hear? I can hear you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Jen, how did you get a dog in the hospital? How how did that happen? Like that's. Well, know. he is an emotional support dog. Um, I already had that. My supervisor, who is just one of the most wonderful people in the world. She had her dog in one day um, because he had had surgery or something like that. And I mentioned, oh, here we go. I mentioned that I um, have an emotional support dog because he really does bring out endorphins in me. I don't know how. Yeah. And she, she said, oh, bring the paperwork in. And this was during COVID. Yeah. So bring the paperwork in and um, we'll get to risk management and we'll get him 
okay to come in here. So it started out very slow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would bring them in and um, the doctors that morning would say, hey, Jan, this guy loves dogs. Can you visit? Okay. Yeah. And as soon as I started walking down the halls, nurses would be like, oh my God. Dog yeah, dog. yeah. Or doctors. I mean, and I noticed obviously not just patients, but the staff who was really depressed from right. the COVID right. stuff were responding, and and then it just took off. So he's on every floor. Wow, that's great. That's great. How how can you help families? How do you help families deal with this with their loved one having really chronic care needs? Yeah. I think a lot of it is that um, we had one man that was really having a difficult time with his wife uh, being in the hospital for the second time. The first time years ago, they had said, you know, she doesn't have long and she lived another five years. And he was her biggest support. Um, and he was really, by the time she got to us, we put her on the palliative floor Mm -hmm. which is a specific specific floor for people to just uh, get wow. special care with larger rooms so families can come in. Um, so you're really treating the family too. So I would get to know yeah. the family. The sons felt one way, the husband felt another. He felt really alienated and isolated. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times the team would say, Jan, talk to him. Mm -hmm. um, it's really a really have to be pretty sensitive in this situation because the doctors, the folks on our team are just superb. They'll say, this person is not ready to deal with the fact that they have a terminal illness. We need to go slow. We need to back off. Or, you know, the sister, one sister saying, give them everything. And the other sister saying, no, no, we got to go. So right. we're dealing with families and their feelings about, you know, the patient um, their loved one, and sometimes they're not in agreement. So sometimes we are just there to kind of ferret yeah. that out. Um, so, so what I'm learning and gathering is like, you're the most important person on the palliative team. <laughs> like you should get paid the most. Like they always say that, but I'm not the most important person. <laughs> like, like, like what would people do without you? Like, that's just... My observation is like, my, my gosh, this is a great, great peer work, you know, in a different way that just really, like every palliative team should have a peer. You know, That's what they're looking at. And yeah. this grant is probably ending for Conversation Nurse, um, but the palliative team is looking to have me work for them in some capacity. Right. Um, it's, it's really, to me, it's exciting because... Again, I make the least of everybody. I always say I make McDonald's pay, right? Which you know you can do when you're a retired teacher, right? But, right. Um, it really does deserve to have more uh, status. I get not right, just status, right. but but so many industries are using peers now with lived experience like us, especially the mental health. You know, I'll always say, oh, I am depressed and right. I have this. Do right. I look crazy? And I always right. say that as a joke and people go, yeah. no. But no. It, it's to, the research I've seen is that uh, peer work is growing all over the country. And yeah. yeah. I know this team would like to keep me as part of the palliative team, but we'll have to see. Right. Um, so what can we do as a community uh, uh, in Buffalo, in Erie County or Western New York or the state 
to improve things or to help out or to contribute or do something to make the world a better place? Well, you're doing it by this podcast. Well, and in fact, right as we speak, the surgeon that's on our team said, okay, I'm teaching everybody how to do Twitter. Uh-huh. because they want to be able to get to large amounts of people in a very short right. little soundbite. So, you know, what you're doing is really, really important. We have I Twitter too. Like peers like me Twitter. Yeah. What? We have peers like me Twitter too. You can twit, Twitter. Okay. Like yeah. So it's getting the word out there. It's explaining to people in human terms right? Um, by using ourselves. I mean, why did AA work for so long? Because people who've been through alcohol addiction mm-hmm. and recovered are going to be the best people to talk with others. So right. why not mental health? Right. And it's still, I still think it's the last area of people discriminating. Right. So I've heard someone said, uh, you got the alcoholics, the drug addicts, and then the mentally ill people, like in that order. So, which is really bad that. Or all look- three. Yes. Yes. So, but. Well, thank you very much, Jen. Uh, it's nice to get to know you, and I hope we can work together in the future. I hope uh, you know. Is there anything we can do? Is there anything we can help out? Like, do you need letters of support, or you know, do you, to keep your funding, or you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I again, it's an it's a field that is up and coming, right? Um, so any kind of information, we just had a team come in from University of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Sandra, our supervisor, um, had a, a pro, there was a, a contest and a program for these students called Social Impact. And they wanted to see how to have social impact in a hospital. So they hung out with me a lot right. and traveled with me. And it kind of opened their eyes a lot to the human side of what we deal with. So yeah. the more that we are explaining what we do as peers, not just palliative, but right. it right. is needed there because it's pretty emotional uh, job. And, and if you say the wrong thing, you know, some of our res- residents mm-hmm. are new and they may know medicine, but they don't always know how to approach somebody like, so we're looking at hospice. Like, wait a minute. Right. I'm not even there yet. Right, right. So I'm doing podcasts, the Twitter, they're supposedly training on that today. The more we get out there in a forum where others can understand what we do, I, okay. I'm i all about education. So. All right. Well, well, thank you very much, Jen. It's been an honor and a privilege to talk to you and to learn uh, a different perspective and service that peers offer to our community. Thank you very much. Thank you, Maura. Okay. You've been listening to Peers Like Me, a podcast that explores issues related to behavioral health, sponsored by Western New York Independent Living, Inc., with the assistance of the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Today, our guest has been Jan Abel's Register, peer support specialist for advanced care planning at Erie County Medical Center and family support partner with the Child and Family Support Program of the Mental Health Advocates of Western New York. Our host has been Maura Kelly.